Christian movies are about as old as movies themselves. The first film about Jesus was French, titled The Passion of the Christ. It was released in 1897 and was apparently filmed in a Paris parking lot. Wow. It consisted of 12 scenes, lasted five minutes, and was apparently successful enough to convince the publishing house that made it to go into movies instead. Hi, I'm Paul Acey, filling the hosting chair for Adam Holtz today. Christian movie making has come a long way. Just this year, we've seen two faith-based films outperform some Hollywood heavyweights. Mm. In February, The Jesus Revolution from Lionsgate surprised everyone by earning $52 million at the box office. Then, on the 4th of July, Sound of Freedom from Angel Studios out-earned Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Just why are faith-based movies doing so well these days, and what could Hollywood learn from their success? Then, in our second segment, we'll shift gears, so to speak, and talk to Kristen Smith about Paramount Plus's new kids show, Transformers Earthspark, a series that might have some problems in disguise. But first, let's talk Christian movies. I'm joined by Jonathan McKee, Kennedy Unthank, and in an unfamiliar seat, Adam Holtz. Welcome. Hello. Hello. There you go. <laughs> Should have I said hi? I, did, I would still think of something smart to say about the unfamiliar seat. Hello. Hello. Hello, Jonathan. So let's talk a little bit for our icebreaker. Let's talk a little bit about Christian entertainment. And let's go way back into your past and think hmm. about uh, the very first time that you were entertained and educated about Jesus and the Bible. Ooh, ooh. Ooh, Pick me. Yes, yes, me. Adam. So when I was but a wee lad, I went to vacation Bible school at my cousin's country church in Rippey, Iowa. Okay. Rippey. Population 500. All right. And we did, I think the musical was called, I think it was called Bullfrogs and Butterflies. Yeah, yeah. And it had the famous hit song, wait for it, Have Patience. Yep. Yeah. Have patience, don't be in such a hurry when you get impatient. Okay, all right, you all right, let's move on. To worry. Okay, this is a really special moment for Jonathan. And I. That's the copyright but, strike, okay, right? I want to say something really serious after, after the ridiculous little duet that Jonathan and I just did. I think it does illustrate the power of entertainment because a well-crafted song or even a song that you just remember, whether or not have patience is well-crafted, it's right there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I may lose my marbles someday, but I'm guessing that have patience will still be in there. And I think those things that we encounter when we're kids, pretty powerful. Absolutely. That's fine. So Cause that was not queued up. No, no, no. Yeah. You guys knew that. Kennedy right was bobbing his head up and down. Right. That's right. I, Never heard it, but yeah. it was good. <laughs> but it'll be Bullfrogs playing in your mind and butterflies. Tonight. Look it up. Have both been born again. <laughs> All right, right, Jonathan. Let me know. It's funny. Adam's got me now thinking because there are so many. I mean, music is powerful. And there's, you know, I can think of lyrics that I sang when I was a kid. Yeah. But I immediately, when you asked the question, Paul, I immediately thought of entertainment media. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's funny you say that the first films were Christian. And I guess I kind of remember some films with wholesome messages. But when it really comes to Jesus being portrayed in a good light, Ben-Hur. I mean, the original mm -hmm. Ben-Hur has one of the most powerful Jesus scenes 
still today. Even I though think. he's not really quite in it. Yeah, I mean, you he know, just well, that's the most powerful part. Yeah. I know he's just, it's just you, you kind of see thing, the right? you kind of barely see the back of him, or you see his hands, or you yep. see you know. And uh, there's a couple scenes he's in, but there's this one scene where you know somebody's in the uh, Blu-ray. <laughs> you know, it's literally a chapter called like uh, something like "Hungry Man Thirst for Water" or something like that, because it's literally these workers who are thirsty and. Jesus shows up and gives them water. Mm-hmm. And this guard starts to like correct Jesus. And Jesus just turns towards the guard and the guard like puts his head down in shame. And it was just, it was this powerful scene done so well. Um, probably one of the best depictions of Jesus I've yeah. ever seen. So it stuck with me. Yeah. It's yeah. I think when you talk about Ben-Hur, everybody remembers the chariot scene. And that's, of course, great. Yeah. But the messages that you have, the biblical messages that are woven through that movie are really impressive. Yeah. And Charlton Heston... He just killed Charlton Heston, man. Yeah, yeah I think I'm going to go for a, a more modern in terms of movies, um, just with Chronicles of Narnia. Mm. Uh, growing up, I think that was the first time. I mean, we were pretty uh, well aware that it was, you know, Christian allegory. But even still, just the scene where, uh, you know, Lucy and Susan are following Aslan yep. to the to the stone table, and then. Later they come back and it's broken in half. And mm-hmm. I think I distinctly remember it was like one of the first times I'd seen anything about Jesus on, in uh, movies. And I was like, oh, I get that, you know? Yeah. And I understand, wow, okay, that it's the first time I've kind of seen this depicted visually. No, were you a kid when you saw I was a kid, okay. yeah. I don't remember how old, but I was definitely not double digits probably. Wow, mm-hmm. wow. So, that's mm-hmm. amazing. That's cool that you remember that. Yeah. I grew up with Chronicles of Narnia, so I think that that's yeah. a great one, you know, because because for me, really, my my first real encounter with, with spirituality might have been, I mean, of course you went to church, right? Mm-hmm. But I do think that the Chronicles of Narnia brought it home in a way that was unique, I think, because I just, I was really struck by those, those books. Not the movies, the books for me. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think about those books that sort of influenced me, another one that I'll just mention, it's called The Tower of Geburah. Hmm. It hmm. is a Christian book, and it, it is sort of— it's How do you very, spell the last word? You know, I couldn't spell it for you right here, okay. but I can, I can, so we can throw G? it in the podcast. Yeah, it is with a G, and it is, it is, again, sort of a Christian metaphor, but I thought it was a beautiful one. I actually preferred it over— Chronicles of Narnia at the time, even though it was clearly, I know it was, it was a ripoff of Narnia to be sure, but it resonated with me because the wolves were the good guys and you had these kids going through TVs and this big old creepy snake with a hand that came out of its chin. Sounds lovely. Yeah. But it was very Christian as well. It was, it was really cool. (laughs) You know, that, that's one of those things. Isn't it funny how so many of us remember these things? Well, I'd be curious for you, our listeners, uh, what what stuck out to you guys? I mean, tell us. Jump on that. Jump on our our Facebook page, Instagram, or our podcast comments. Tell us what what was your first memory of you know Christian media, book, song, movie. I'd love to hear because man, there's some I, those those are powerful moments. They are really powerful moments, and I think that sometimes when you encounter a really great story, it stays with you. For the rest of your life, yeah, right? Mm-hmm. It shapes how you think about your faith. Um, speaking of which, mm. people may be being shaped by some movies that have come out this year. We have seen some tremendous success stories in terms of the world of Christian movie making. So, Adam, 
Yes. You have seen probably more Christian movies than anyone in this room, perhaps more than most people in the United States. <laughs> what is going on with this year in Christian movies? Well, it's funny. The Christian movie thing sort of feels like Groundhog Day. And, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way, but I feel like almost every year we have the exact same story. Holy cow. <laughs> Where did this movie come from? Yeah. Can you believe this Christian movie just it's made true. $50 million? Like this year, it was Jesus Revolution. And even in the last few weeks, Sound of Freedom has been in that kind of conversation as well. And it's almost like over the course of every calendar year, Hollywood forgets Christians exist and forgets that Christian movies exist. And then somebody comes along and there's a, a movie worth seeing. There's a story worth promoting. Um, Jesus Revolution and The Sound of Freedom are very different movies. Right. I mean, Jesus Revolution was a pretty big mainstream release. It was uh, distributed. Big names in it? Yeah, big names. Distributed by Lionsgate. Kelsey Grammer starred in it. Uh, whereas Sound of Freedom was released by Angel Studios. They had kind of a guerrilla marketing approach. Very different approaches. Yeah, yeah. And yet, every time it happens we see this slew of news articles. It's like, we can't believe it. I'm like, this happens every year, yeah. literally. Yeah, if we were doing podcasts, we would have had this conversation after God's Not Dead was released, after exactly. Fireproof was released. All of those. Yeah. So it's interesting to me that as much as Hollywood pays attention to trends, they seem to have a short memory. Now, I'm going to say the asterisk C note below is that Lionsgate seems to be figuring it out mm. because they recently acquired The Chosen and they're now distributing The Chosen TV series, which is a little bit different. But, you know, there seem to be some places in the mainstream Hollywood system that are recognizing, oh, yeah, I remember last year these guys knocked it out of the park. You know, that mm. really shocked us. So there's a, it says it says that there's an audience there. There Every is, year. Yeah, there is an audience. There is an audience. And we see it year after year after year. And it's interesting that you mentioned Lionsgate because it does seem like when you look at the film industry as a whole, it has been a difficult nut to crack. Yeah. Like you have these success stories, but then you have some of these Hollywood studios that try to jump on the bandwagon. And sometimes the results are just real failures. You know, I, I remember that Noah starring, mm. you know, yeah. it was, it was Russell Crowe. Russell was in Crowe that. and Darren Aronofsky directing. And then there was the Exodus, whatever. Yep. With, uh, with Christian Bale. Yep. And that was a huge deal too, but they totally missed the Christian audience. They did. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is a sense in which I think every time one of these movies hits, it's a reminder that there is an underserved audience out there that is really hungry for stories that connect with their faith. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let me ask you guys, what makes a good Christian movie? What would you, what advice would you give to studios? Well, I think, you know, when you look at something like Noah, um, I think word got around pretty quickly that it wasn't like necessarily the most faithful adaptation of a Bible story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, so you've got this audience of people who, you know, maybe they use plugged in, maybe they don't, maybe they just want a nice little Christian movie that they can go to and not really have to worry about a lot of those elements. Um, you know, you've got that audience there that really wants these things. And so I think really it's just understanding that audience. You know, people look at the the fame of like The Chosen or God's Not Dead or whatever 
Christian movie you want to bring up that got a bunch of money and you just have to realize that like ultimately it comes down to people who just really want to see mm-hmm. you know their faith actually on the on the screen mm-hmm. uh, and there's a right way to do that and I in the case of like I said I'll, I'll pick on Noah a bit it's not people don't just want to see a Bible story just because it's a Bible story they want to see it be faithful to the actual story that they love yeah I you know, think that's true. And it's so hard when you say, what advice did he give to Hollywood? I think my first response is, oh, I think I would just, I don't think I'd give any advice because my advice would probably be wrong. Because, But one thing I would have probably said to about Christian films 20 years ago is I would say, get the budget, please get the budget, you know, because there were so many that were cutting corners on talent, on music, on everything. Oh, we couldn't afford that. So we ended up just doing this and it wasn't great. So I would have said that. Well, Noah had the budget. Mm-hmm. So so it's not just budget, right. you know? It's say, get the stars. Well, I mean, Russell Crowe was a pretty big star too. You know I mean? So it it's weird when you look at something like Passion of the Christ. I mean, it was such a, I mean, a true to the word story. Um, so well done across the board. It resonated. And where there were imaginative flourishes, they didn't sort of yeah. run afoul of orthodoxy, which was the problem with Noah. Yeah, was... Pro- pro- yeah probably even less so than Chosen. I mean, Chosen is even kind of between the lines, yeah. you know, that, again, doesn't doesn't really buckle much orthodoxy. Right. Um, Passion had like a scene where, you know, Jesus and Mary are talking about the height of a table. Wait, you'll sit around this table? And it was a cute scene. Obviously, it was not in the scripture. Well, and the you depiction know? of Satan kind of lurking in the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was interesting though, because I don't know what advice I'd give. I'd say make a good film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and talking about the the Christian films of 2023, which have I'd say have been averaging better than usual for mm-hmm. Christian films. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the reason why we're seeing kind of that trend is because I feel like Christian directors are starting to kind of get this picture of okay, well, let's not just make it so the Christian is the only good guy and all the atheists are the bad guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it these are actual stories that are a lot more genuine, I've noticed, and in the more recent releases. I mean, you see Jesus Revolution and it's not just, you know, sunshine and roses, you know. Yeah. You see Sound of Freedom and it's exploring pretty traumatic stuff. You can even bring up Nefarious. Mm-hmm. Where it's talking about theology with a demon. Yeah. You know, yeah. you see this stuff that's exploring the deeper and more just intense parts of the Christian experience. You know, as as I think about it, I think you have a really good point Um, because as I think about the movies that we've seen this year from kind of the the Christian movie-making industry, they're pretty difficult movies all in their own Mm -hmm. ways. I think that in years past, you might have had some some pretty superficial in a way Christian movies come out. Or triumphant or even borderline prosperity gospel, Mm -hmm. right? That when you have Jesus in your life, everything sort of magically works out in the end. And I think that we've seen a movement away from that. Sure. I often talk about the, you know, the stereotypical, the coach of the football team who just prays five minutes before the end of the game and they win the big game. And that's the only Christian, Christian with big air quotes message you have in your movies. Yeah. Yeah. And when you think about Jesus revolution, that was a complex movie that ended on a sort of upward spike, but it had some really flawed people at the core of it. Yeah. And not mm-hmm. everybody got a happy ending out of that. Well, and I think, you know, as an honorable mention, let's mention some of the films that weren't Christian films 
some profoundly good Christian films. We talked about Ben-Hur. Think of Chariots of Fire, mm-hmm. the message of that movie. Think of The Mission with Robert De Niro, you know, and the for- message of forgiveness and, uh, uh, and, you know, carrying this guilt around that you finally all of a sudden are freed of this burden mm-hmm. and the visual. I'll never forget that. You know? Well, yeah. as we look at these movies, it does seem like Christian audiences can be drawn to these difficult yet powerful movies. When you talk about The Mission, that's one of my favorite movies of all time. That was a 1981 movie. So, uh, Silence. Silence was a really strong one, and, and you'd have these very difficult things. And what I think maybe Christian movie makers are learning is that you can deal with some difficult issues, but we want to see the truth of our faith represented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, circling back to your question of what would you tell movie makers, um, I have a, a couple of thoughts. I know that'll be a shocker to everybody. <laughs> um, years ago, a lot of years ago, it was probably 20 years ago, I read an interview with Ralph Winter, who was a producer behind some of the X-Men movies, um, did some pretty big movies mm-hmm. um, and pretty outspoken as a Christian. It was an article that was in Christianity Today. And he said something that has always stayed with me because I think it speaks to why some of us struggle with the Christian movie template. He said, movies are better at asking questions than answering them. And I think, especially as Protestants, we, when we make movies, and I know Catholics make movies too, but I think a lot of the stuff that I would describe as evangelical Christian movies are in the Protestant vein. We want to make sure there aren't any loose ends. Right. Like we want to make sure nobody misses the altar call. We want to make sure it's all tied up, that the message is clear. And we're not particularly comfortable with ambiguity, with unanswered questions, with suffering. I think there's been growth in that area mm. where it's not all wrapped up quite so neatly. And and my parallel thought is trust the power of image. And what I mean by that is, again, as Protestants, we're inherently distrustful of images, right? I mean, you can go back through history. There's the huge, huge controversy over iconography with the Orthodox church. Mm -hmm. Um, And relatively speaking, there's a lot of art in the Catholic tradition that really depends on image, but Protestants are people of the word, which is why when you see a lot of these Christian movies, you get essentially sermons, right? You Mm -hmm. get people reading from the Bible, you get long spoken prayers, you get long explication and explanation of spiritual concepts. I don't think they work particularly well in a movie, but I do think those two factors are, I would want to talk about those two things. That's good. Here's an interesting thing, because I totally agree with you. But as I was sort of thinking through this podcast, I was also very mindful that there are people who find, you know, these Christian movies that we might think don't necessarily tell as strong of a story. They move people like nobody's business. And, And so one of the things that I was wrestling with is, when we talk about good Christian movie making, are we using kind of a an odd template for it? You know, when you think about a horror movie, we think it's a good horror movie if it scares us. A good comedy is one that <laughs> makes us laugh. What makes a good Christian movie? Well, and I think that we're we're forced to confront the question on two levels. Is it good morally and theologically mm-hmm. or is it good aesthetically? And I think 
there have been Christian movies that are orthodox and correct and have the right spiritual message, but the aesthetic, the art of it you know, it's not so great. is mm-hmm. not so great. And then yeah. we get the flip side. I think we have a lot of movies that actually maybe get the artistic part better, but maybe at the expense of some of that core orthodoxy. And so there's mm-hmm. tension there. And mm-hmm. to your point, one person's bad Christian movie is a movie that yeah. speaks to somebody. I remember, I can't remember which Kendrick Brothers movie it was. They said that they had had 3,000 people write to them saying that they had come to Christ through it. And so I could critique it and say, this was basically a sermon and it doesn't work on this level. And but, yet, but yet but God did. absolutely yeah, right. used it. And they would say, that's exactly what they were going for. And I'm not trying to critique the Kendrick brothers in general. We, I really appreciate the work that they've mm-hmm. done, but yeah, that was just absolutely. an example that, that came to mind. Absolutely. Well, it is interesting. And when you said horror movie, I can't help but think of the different conversations we've had about Scott Derrickson and like yeah. he did Exorcism, Emily Rose, which most people thought of as a horror movie. And was. It, it, it was. <laughs> and, 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 but simply as that, I mean, Profoundly Christian. I mean, right. it, yeah. it very, you know, mm-hmm. so his whole idea was setting up this court case of does God exist? And, and that's, and it's, it's amazing when films pull that off in a, in a very unexpected genre. Yeah. Well, even. and that's a great example of a movie where Scott Derrickson was super, super comfortable asking the question, was this woman possessed or was she psychologically unstable? And I think there's a leaning there, yeah. but it's not a preachy answer to the question. Yeah. 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 I am going to be really interested as, as this year goes on, you know, because when we talk about some of those more difficult movies, the exorcism of Evelyn Rose, you know, the mission, all that kind of stuff, I'm going to be really interested to see what the rest of 2023 brings. Yeah. And I want to kind of bring it back to what Adam had said, just kind of about the subjectivity of what makes a good Christian movie. I mean, I'd written a blog about it um a while ago so ashley you can go ahead and link that at some point (laughs) (laughs) Um, no the uh but you know in that i was talking more about like just are you actually trying to make it a christian movie or not but in terms of adam's case i think it's really interesting is that some of these movies might affect us in different ways because the christian experience is fundamentally just so different for a lot of people so different so different where you know uh i talk a lot about how like uh uh when augustine was reading out of romans uh he talks about this one section of verses that really struck his heart and then i went and i read those verses like these verses really don't do anything to me you know i mean like they're good verses like so so don't fire me (laughs) but but (laughs) there but you know but it's like but there was another section in that same chapter. I was like, wow, this one really speaks to me. And so I think in a lot of ways, it can be the same thing with yeah, movies. For sure. Like when I'm talking about Jesus Revolution, you know, uh, I'll be honest. I thought it was decent. I didn't think it was great or bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know other people who thought it wasn't that good. I know other people who thought it was great. And yeah. it's it's really just one of those things that I think is it's really hard to put a a stamp on it because it's just so subjective. And that's true of movies in general, not just Mm -hmm. Christian movies. Well, to get back to to what Kennedy was talking about, I think that's a great place to land this because we did a a devotional actually here at work where all of us sort of went around and we talked a little bit about our favorite verses. Every single person had a different favorite verse. And, you know, 
all those verses hit us differently because we are all such different people. And movies are exactly the same way. Um, And Christian movies especially, maybe, because our faith is so individualistic. So... I'm interested to see how I do think that the the Christian movie industry, if you can call it that, is sort of growing. I think it's growing. I will be interested to see what that growth brings. Yeah. Thanks so much for this conversation. Thank you. Yeah, good stuff. The Transformers franchise has been around for nearly 40 years, encompassing toys, movies, books, and even video games. Now the franchise has added a new show, this one on Paramount Plus. It's called Transformers Earthspark. Kristen, you reviewed it for us. I did. So what what is Transformers Earthspark about? Okay, it's just like another addition to the Transformers world, but it's animated and for kids. Animated and for kids. Right. Well, they could argue that these PG-13 ones are for kids, but I would say, no. depends on what kid it is. But yeah. Um, so it's this brother and sister, and they move from Philadelphia to a smaller city, um, and then they see these the first ever Earthborn Transformers. Earthborn Transformers. Yes, and when they when they watch this happen, when they are immediately they watch the birth. Uh, it's sort of it's like a creation, an evolvement, if you will, Ooh. and they are immediately emotionally linked. There's like a connection to them that they have, and so. Then they pair up with like Bumblebee is like the wise elder who helps them and walks them through like their new gotcha. life on Earth. But they work for this organization and they go against the Decepticons and try to bring them in. As Transformers do. As that is, you know, the they whole hate premise. those Decepticons. Yes. Hate them. Um, but you know what? Some of, I think it's interesting. I was watching this. Again, TV Y7 Transformers, and it is very emotional. And so yeah. you wouldn't, I think that's an interesting aspect or element because, again, they're they're robots, right? And that's kind of like the thing in the movies. They don't understand the human jokes. They don't, they don't get it, but they're understanding it in this world. And they're trying to understand empathy and trying to understand how to be kind to people and what to say and what makes sense. Um, so that is very, it was actually really sweet. See, that's really cool because, you know, I've reviewed a few Transformers movies and yeah. emotion is like the last thing that actually comes into some of those movies. It's It's like two hours of action. It's two hours of action, robots beating up each other. So the idea that they're trying to go a little bit I don't know. Would you call it like a kinder, gentler Transformers? Would that be fair to say? I think it's because they're they're half robot, half Half. human emotion <laughs> like like they're all no no let me let me rephrase that they're all robot but they've they've learned all these like human traits mm-hmm. and so they're really taking it on upon themselves and there's one transformer in particular he's like very sensitive and he doesn't really fit into the transformer world because he is and they're like just smash things that's the way you're supposed to do it and he gets all worked up about that's it awesome. and so it's interesting but yeah i mean it's definitely very sweet it definitely has um a lot of sweet elements there's a lot of like you know kids learn how to work together mm-hmm. um again they're learning empathy because these transformers really are little kids like they're learning about the earth from sort of the ground yeah, up so to yeah. speak yeah uh-huh there's definitely a different perspective though um that's been worked in so one of the transformers uh uses different pronouns just so that we're on the different same page here. Pronouns. Uh-huh. So sort of they, them, uh-huh. it. Yeah. Which is weird when it comes to transformers, right? Because yeah, they're, they're machines. Uh-huh. Yeah. So like I th- I think it was worked in because it actually kind of makes sense as far as like a transformer is concerned. Um but 
Wow. How big a part exist. of the actual series is that element? Because it's in, it sounds like that's probably one of the bigger elements that we're dealing with. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's in one episode where the Transformer talks about it. Um, I have not seen all of them. Mm-hmm. But I will say that it, the, because of the emotional acceptance, that might be something that you see later on down the road. Because when it does appear in the scene, um, it's very much like, oh, yeah, like very understanding. We understand. That makes sense. And then they move on. Um, but again, yeah. I've not seen them all. So when you're talking about this issue, obviously, that's going to be a big one for families. Mm-hmm. But are there other issues that we need to be aware of? I'm assuming that there's still quite a bit of violence. Yeah, in yeah, there's definitely violence. It's nothing like the two hour movies. But I mean, they still have like mm. there's guns and. They smash things and things get set on fire because they get into tussles and like things like that. I mean, there are Decepticons, like there are bad guys. And so it's probably your typical kid version Transformer. Yeah. 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 Let me ask you, this is sort of an off the wall question, but why have the Transformers been so enduring? Why are we still seeing 40 years later? Why are we still seeing sh- new shows being made about these? It's a fantastic question because the last movie I went to never ended and I wish it would have. <laughs> I mean, it just didn't stop you guys. My husband loved it and I was like, my goodness, this is long. But um, <laughs> I would say as for the kids, I think it really appeals. There are a lot I've kind of observed this having little kids. There are a lot of shows aimed at girls. Mm -hmm. There really aren't a lot for young boys. Mm. And I think Transformers is one of them, especially if they like cars and trucks and they're really into that. My son loves Bumblebee. Any yellow car we see on the road is Bumblebee, (laughs) and he's very into it. And so I think it has that element of like, it's very, who doesn't want something that transforms into something else? And then they can kind of step into that world, that fictional world. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's probably true. I mean, kids love robots. They love cars. So cool. Adults like it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So it really does sound like this is a show that has some really strong points, but some elements that parents would really want to consider heavily before. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Thank you so much, Chris. Of course. Okay, guys. Paul took over for Adam. I'm taking over for Paul. My name (laughs) is Kristen Smith, and we're playing a new game today. And I don't know what it's called, but we're going to call it 20 Questions, where Paul asks 20 questions as fast as he possibly can, either or, and I have to answer them. I don't really think those are correct, right? Last week we called it Would You Rather. Would You Rather. rather. That makes total sense. Logic here, people. Paul's going to go first, (laughs) and then I guess I'm going to go. I'm so excited. I'm so nervous. Here we go. Let's go. Iron Man or Batman? Iron Man. Rom-coms or thrillers? Rom-coms. Insta or TikTok? Insta. In C.S. Lewis or J.R.R. Tolkien? Lewis. Mm, Dogs or cats? Dogs. The Mandalorian or Andor? Mandalorian. Barbies or Legos? Legos. Captain Hook or Captain Bly? Hook. Sam or Frodo? Oh, Frodo. No, Sam. Oh, gosh, sorry. (laughs) Who cares about Frodo? Swiss or Cheddar? Cheddar. James Bond or Ethan Hunt? Bond. Oh, man. You only got through like 13 questions. 13. It was was something like that. (laughs) I counted 11. Okay. All right. So you do not get a special prize, Kristen. You lost. Fine, all right, I got this. All you right. lost. You get some... That's you... really interesting, actually. Some of the things that you chose, I was surprised. Okay, well, I'm... All right, are you ready for this? I'm ready. Okay. All right, here we go. Crossword or Sudoku? Sudoku. C.S. Lewis or Tolkien? Uh, C.S. Lewis. Ghostbusters or Back to the Future? Back to the Future. Apple Music or Spotify? Apple. That's wrong. Obi-Wan or Luke? <laughs> Obi-Wan. <laughs> Avatar, The Last Airbender or Avatar? The Blue People. <laughs> Last Airbender. Okay. Jif or GIF? 
Jif. Oh, Sherlock Holmes or Detective Columbo? Oh, Sherlock Holmes. Okay, video games or board games? Video games. YouTubers. Your board games are pretty close. YouTube. Go ahead. YouTuber streaming services. Oh, you did it to yourself. I know I did it. <laughs> Curses. Curses. Man. Curses oh. the winner. She got three more questions. Hey, man. Guys, this is what I, happens when you. I don't like you. this game anymore. I enjoy hosting. What a joy this was. <laughs> if you have the pleasure of listening to this right now, you guys, you just heard me win, and I don't win very many things. So man, hand it over to Paul. Man, that just, oh, goodness gracious. Losing to Kristen, it feels like a shameful event in my life. Anyway, <laughs> thanks for being with us here today on The Plugged In Show, our own faith-based entertainment platform. We loved spending some time with you, and we'd love to hear what you think now, too. Have you seen any faith-based films this year? What and why? Do you think that Christian movies are getting better? Or does it matter? What do you think about Transformers' latest transformation? Tell us what you think on Facebook, Instagram, or leave a message on our Plugged In Show page. And of course, check out our live Plugged In Show aftercast on Instagram on Monday afternoon, 3 p.m. Mountain Time. We'll be talking about this week's show, next week's show, and the biggest movies then. And until we reconvene, thanks again for joining us on The Plugged In Show. As a parent, it's easy to find myself sitting backseat to my kids in the backseat. It's tough to be a step ahead. and full honesty, I'm pretty hard on myself when that happens. But I've found Practice Makes Parent, a podcast from Focus on the Family, hosted by Dr. Danny Huerta and Rebecca St. James. It helps me be more intentional and not feel alone when things get tough. Everything they share is practical and well-practiced, and I can use it right away. Listen to Practice Makes Parent wherever you get your podcasts.